0: Hello and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Tanya.
1: And I'm Carrie. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 136. Today we are continuing our 2023 Summer Book Club by discussing chapters three and four of Realizing Diversity, an Equity Framework for Music Education by Karen Howard. We'll also play a fun summer game.
0: And in our Coda section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying outside of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started.
1: All right. It is time for a fun summer game. Yay. Yay. (laughs) But before we do that, Quick corrections corner, because I, <laughs> upon listening to our last episode, Tanya, when yeah. I was editing and putting everything together, um, I, we have a, an audition correction. So, um, in our last game, in case you didn't listen to our last episode, um, we played a game, an audition game where we each picked a song that we knew well, and we just went for it and sang it and to see if we were in the right key to see if we were able to hear it in the right key. And, um... When my selection came about, I did Cornflake Girl by Tori Amos and we both said that I was a little low, like a half step low, but I was actually half step sharp. I mean I was half step off either way. But I just wanted yes. to correct ourselves because yeah, I didn't yeah. want people to think that we didn't know what we were talking about. But sometimes it's hard to tell in the moment. And then Tanya's selection, you did Black Hole Sun, right? I did yeah and you were actually pretty much right on. We thought maybe you were a little low, but you know, I think what's what was hard about it in retrospect was we started the song, and then where we when we started listening to the song, like, because of the chordal changes, you know what I'm saying? like it it yeah. didn't our starting note wasn't the same as our ending note because that's how the song goes, kind of a thing. It wasn't right, like, a clear but we ton. did, but
0: we did sing, you know. A triad okay. to establish what key we were in so kind no i'm i'm not doubting you uh, uh, <laughs> i didn't uh, honestly didn't listen back but well, no, uh, <laughs> i think it's interesting um that we did that in the moment
1: yeah i think yeah that's all i will say about that so anyways that's my correction corner in case you were listening to the episode and thought we didn't know we were talking about we well we didn't at the time but we do now so (laughs) there you go
0: those people are not listening anymore they have no faith in us as music educators
1: they're disgusted (laughs) they've turned us off okay so today we're going to go back to doing a, a trivia type quiz um so this one is a quiz i found on ProProfs.com quizzes. I don't know. I just I just did a Google search for fun or summer song quiz, and I found this little ten question quiz. So I'm gonna put Tanya's. This is like think classic rock, you know, fifties through. I guess it does go later, but um, classic American American summertime songs. Are you ready, Tanya? Okay. Yeah. yeah, And then you, listeners, see if you can get them right as well. All right, so question number one. And I there, there will be four choices. You might not always need them. So do you oh. want me to read the choices, or do you want to just go for it and see if you can get it?
0: Well, let's hear the first one, there. and then I'll know okay. from there.
1: Okay, so according to the song made famous by the Beach Boys, you know the Beach Boys were going to be on this quiz. Uh, yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Where would you find a little place called Kokomo? <sighs> okay, here's your choices. <laughs> South of Waikiki off the Florida Keys north of Malibu south of Malibu
0: you know what I I I avoid this song
1: I understand
0: so I'll say off the Florida Keys
1: that is correct
0: okay I, when I this when this song came out I really didn't like it and I went out of my way it, this is a song that I would cross the room to turn off
1: yeah. I I liked this song, but I was a lot younger than you at the time. So when that song came out, I was, yeah.
0: I thought it was age. cheesy.
1: It is cheesy. Yeah, now I can't listen to it.
0: Plus it was connected to that horrible Tom Cruise movie. Oh,
1: Cocktail, I know.
0: That is I the worst know. movie.
1: Okay, this one you'll get without choices. What okay. year completes the title of Brian Adams' song, Summer of...
0: 69 there
1: you go all right uh question three in quote summertime the song when the living is easy what are the fish doing
0: fish are jumping and the cotton is high
1: huh
0: and the cotton is high
1: this is true yes the fish are jumping there you go okay under the boardwalk what is the singer out of
0: the sun We'll be having fun. It's really hard for me not to burst into song. I hope you appreciate that I'm not doing that.
1: I do, because, yeah, then we, we don't have the rights to any of these things. All right. <laughs> we probably don't have the rights yes, to we, we,
0: we learned that we can play up to, what, 30 seconds 30 or seconds.
1: That's true. Yeah, you we're good. You can really sing if you want to sing something. Yeah. Um, I think this is from the same song. Complete the lyrics. Oh, when the sun beats down and melts the tar.
0: On the street
1: would you like the choices yeah okay. I... so here are your choices so again oh when the sun beats down and melts the tar blank your choices are up on the roof out no. in the swamp no down on the street or up in the sky <laughs>
0: okay i'll go with down on the street
1: that is incorrect what it's is up it? on the roof
0: oh, oh yeah. when the sun I... down okay and
1: melts the tar up on the roof you know why i know this song because again child of the 80s it was in beaches
0: oh Bent yeah Miller sang
1: it in beaches so that's why i know that song so
0: okay well.
1: all right when the love spoonfuls sing of a quote summer in the city what body part is getting dirty and gritty <laughs>
0: Hot Hot time, to to summer in go the go go city go to top of to my go head go go and, go dirty. Dirty. Good good and dirty, good and dirty. Is it top of my head?
1: That's not one of the choices. So, no, it's either soles of my feet. Oh, top of. Wait, soles of my feet, back of my knees, back of my neck, or front of my chest.
0: Well, now I'm remembering it wrong. Is it back of my neck?
1: Yes, that is correct.
0: Okay, thank you. Good.
1: (laughs) I mean, I hope that these questions are accurate. I didn't check them. All right which surf sound song wasn't made famous by the beach boys and pat yourself on the back if you know the band that sang it okay so here are your choices surf and safari good vibrations the little old lady from pasadena or good vibes
0: um good Good vibes, vibes but i couldn't tell you who that is
1: unfortunately you are actually correct incorrect
0: oh no what is it so
1: the little old lady from pasadena in her brand new shiny red super stock dodge features the refrain go granny go granny go granny go and was brought to us us by surf singers jan and dean
0: oh yeah jan and dean
1: i would not have known the answer to that question okay well
0: wow good Good vibes. vibes i didn't realize that was a beach boy song apparently so I'm never going to say good vibes only again
1: <laughs> what is not I a line say that all the time. oh sorry are you ready don't no, go yeah. yeah what is not a line in Greece the musical oh. mm-hmm. my heart is saying don't let go I feel pretty she swam by me and she got a cramp okay this I feel easy. awesome wait
0: wait a second
1: which is oh, not a, a line in Greece.
0: <laughs> There's two of those that don't seem like lines in Greece.
1: My heart is saying My don't
0: heart let go. My heart is saying
1: don't let go. Don't yeah, good job. Um, I feel pretty. She swam by me and she got a cramp or I feel awesome.
0: Okay, the I feel awesome is definitely stands out.
1: As not a Greece line?
0: Yeah, but I feel pretty is the obvious choice because they're trying to confuse us with some website story. So I'm going to go with I feel pretty, but I can't imagine them saying I feel awesome in Greece, but maybe I'm remembering wrong.
1: Okay, so I feel pretty is your final answer.
0: That means I'm wrong. Yeah. Okay.
1: Oh, you got it right. Okay. You'll find the line, but don't... Oh, they don't tell us, I feel awesome. Maybe there are two answers. Maybe either of those, because they're telling us what song the two obvious lines are from, but they're not telling us They were us not what saying, the-
0: I feel awesome in the 1950s.
1: Yeah, that doesn't sound right either. Maybe those were both correct answers. I don't know, I don't wanna hit the back button because then we might have to start all over. All okay. right, question number nine. In 1958, Eddie Cochran claimed, there ain't no cure for this ailment.
0: There ain't no cure for the summertime blues. Correct.
1: Um, All right. Last question. In this hit song, not only was school out for summer, it was out completely. Uh,
0: School's out for summer.
1: Yeah, but they want to know is who sang that song.
0: Uh, Oh, Cooper.
1: Yes, I believe. Now I I want to see if
0: I'm I'm in the right key.
1: Oh, Okay. So here's your results, Tanya. You got 80%, 8 out of 10. All right. I'll take that. And look, when you click on it, you get a certificate of achievement. <laughs> and I can type your name on it. Are
0: you going to type my name and print it up and I can frame it and put it That's on my wall? That's
1: hilarious. Um, no. But I will go, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this, now you know the answers. But I'll still link to the quiz in case you want to give your, your friends a, a quiz about it's summertime songs.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right and so we are continuing our discussion on realizing realizing diversity and equity framework for music education by karen howard and we are focused on chapters three and four today so we're going to start with chapter three interrogating the ritual repertoire selection which is a big juicy topic for um, everybody K-12, well K university um, and something that I know I have been thinking about a lot in past years and something that I always, and this is not to make excuses, but I always come back to is we are not prepared in college to um, select repertoire in our music education programs as teachers, as music educators. And definitely there is bias going on. And it wasn't until very recently, just within the last five years that I even interrogated the idea of the music that I was mostly trained in um, the hierarchy of that music being superior. And, And that's not, Anyway, you know that's embarrassing to admit, but not uncommon. And in talking about this, Carrie, I imagine you and I are going to have to be a little bit vulnerable in admitting our biases, and and that's really what it's that's what we're doing is interrogating those things right now. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah. yeah,
1: like I'm already going to want to dive into a quote on page forty nine. Um, she talks about. Uh, psychologists Ralph Hertwig and Christopher Engel what they call deliberate ignorance or information avoidance, which is the choice not to seek out information or knowledge that is easily available and sure to benefit all involved. And I definitely, that struck home for me because I think so many of us, if we were trained in that Western European, you know, predominantly white classical tradition, and that's how we were trained, and then we went to college, and that's how we were trained, and then we become music educators, and so we go to what we know, and it's a completely understandable thing, but like calling it deliberate ignorance. is like, ouch, but true.
0: Right. <laughs> like, right. And you know, it's funny because I highlighted the sentence right after where you stopped reading. So can I read that part? Oh, yeah, keep going. Uh, This avoidance can lead to the perpetuation of deficient programming and, imp- par- and impoverished messaging in terms of who is worth being represented in our settings. And just to be specific, I know that this bias was in me even before college. And I'm thinking specifically about solo and ensemble contest because in high school years um, I would sing at solo and ensemble contest and other members of the choir would also do that. And my, my boyfriend at the time, um, he and a friend of his, they sang a duet of uh American Pie uh-huh. and my boyfriend even played guitar and they did this for solo and on- ensemble contest. And I was dismayed. I was like, How how dare they? It, this is not this is not that setting, you know?
1: And how was it received? Uh like do you remember like what dates were? They, well, they weren't just... thrown out.
0: It's not like I'm trying to remember if it was mentioned that I, I really can't tell you specific comments that they were given or anything. I mean, um, all the, most of the students were just thought it was awesome. Honestly. Right. I was the snob. Right. Uh, I was not, that was not the, um, common, like everybody else was like, yay, you should do that. Um, I was mortified because I was like, this is not for this music. This is solo and ensemble contest, you know? Right, right. And I'm trying to remember if I, I don't even know if I saw the comments because, you know, the adjudicators, they always write comments about the performance. And I don't know if it was mentioned about it being a different genre that was not expected. Sure. Because, I mean, the rest of us were singing arias from, 24 italian art songs you know right yeah
1: well and i do i mean i understand that there are going to be like standards as far as uh, musical standards um, right
0: oh and i'm not defending myself now i'm just you know i think that that pushes pushes the envelope right
1: right yeah it's just um yeah how far can we push it into where yeah it's I don't know. It's a lot.
0: Um, But what's alarming is how deep bred it was in me even before I got to my music teacher training. Right. As a music student going through the public schools, those Mm -hmm. seeds were already laid, you know.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard both sides of this argument, too, because I've heard, you know, When talking about diversity and, you know, culturally responsive teaching, I've heard so many people say, well, it's just not so much about the repertoire as it is about, you know, bigger things, which I agree, but (laughs) it is so much about the repertoire. Like we can't get away from that because- It is,
0: a a large part of it is about the repertoire because that's the whole, the message, the medium, the medium is the message. Like it's music education. Mm -hmm. It's the music whatever music we put out there and that we fill our children with that we are teaching or, you know, our own children, that's, that's what they're, that's what they're getting. This is what music is. This is what this type of music is. And this yeah. is what, you know, quality music is. And she makes awesome points about what is quality and why. you know, when we, and I think I've made these arguments myself, when we talk about quality music Mm -hmm. and what the elements of quality music are elements that are in most, like all music, right? Mm -hmm. I remember even in my early um, teaching Kodai level days, talking about the importance of like having um, varied varied genres that you listen to and having taste, but even putting myself down and saying, oh, you know, I, I love goth music from the 80s and I know musically that's not as good as this that and the other and and that's that's silly
1: well we talk about guilty pleasures all the time yeah
0: we talk about that Yeah. yeah I mean and why you know just because the melody line has less notes does that make it less pitches does that make it less quality I mean all of the things that make me excited about listening to music I listen to all on my own are the same things that make the quote um, school appropriate music exciting. Right. Right. And I have to be, you know, I have to make a again about this is the very beginning of my career. I would often say that I didn't do popular music in my room. And my reasoning was This is music that the kids are listening to anyway. I consider my job to turn them on to musics that they might not come across otherwise. Now, that's still true. But my reasoning then was really the unspoken was because this is quality music that they won't get unless I give it to them.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I used to talk a lot about the repertoire that I choose as being like, the meat and potatoes, the healthy stuff, the vegetables, right. and then, yeah. you know, the popular music or even like the Disney songs and things like that being, you know, the dessert, the fluff, the the sparkle. And, you know, the, I have to make sure they have enough meat and potatoes before I even consider putting any of that, you know, lesser stuff in front of them. Right. Um, yeah. I said the exact same thing. Um, yeah.
0: And I mean, and I'm definitely have reconsidered all of that because any music you you could build a curriculum around any genre any music that has come up from any social group right
1: yeah 100% and, and the reason i mean yeah. we could still as teachers and as humans have preferences like y- if you have a preference for you know new wave and goth music but i don't you know so like that's okay you know if i like more pop music and you don't All of that is fine, but we can't let those judgments completely influence what music we're putting in front of kids because it's our job to expose them to as much as possible and let them decide for themselves. Right. Right. And
0: then this is all we'll come back to this because in chapter four, I believe this is where we get into like, why do you think what you think, you know, uh, those four um, phases of, uh, of personal values and cultural values, you know, like what, why do you like the music? Is it because there's something inherent about this music? No, it's because of your upbringing. It was, it's because the time period that has a huge, it in the United States, that's a huge thing. Like all those hits of the nineties that I was not around for because I was, I don't know, I was finishing college and um, getting a job and not paying attention to the hip hop or any of the hit songs. Like a lot of it depends on how much time you had when those songs were really popular, right? Yeah. Or what was going on or not going on because the music that I'm really attached to is music that I spent a lot of time with pouring over literal albums and liner notes and there was no internet right and I'm like dissecting old Fleetwood Mac records and learning to play the bass line because I'm not online finding other things you know I mean there's just all kinds of things that play into why you are really involved in the music that you love
1: don't they say like your musical taste gets like cemented at like a certain age like yeah
0: there was a Thing, thing before. on the radio, and it. I think that that, I think that that's generally true. True for the general population, which is sad. But I think as a music educator, if you're pushing yourself, then no, right? Yeah. And I well, definitely and that's what it be, is if
1: you're pushing yourself. Yeah. Because yeah, I
0: could be much more open than I am. But I mean, right now, let's look at what we have as far as how we listen to music. Most people are listening to streaming services. Yeah. And I held out for a really long time on streaming services. Um because well, lots of reasons. Most most of it is the whole streaming idea I was opposed to. But um, you know, when you can just sit and listen to 24 hours of music that is only from the UK 1982 to 1995 that's like very specified right you can listen to that all the time and never come across whole worlds of music right um so yeah I I mean I think when you have every choice in the world available it's almost more stifling as far as what you're going to listen to yeah. because you're just going to stick to and then those streaming services they keep guiding you towards the same thing over and over well, again, yeah and right?
1: they recommend things for you Yep, yeah, totally
0: yeah you know on spotify that you have that like you can hit a heart for your like this is a favorited song mm-hmm. i want to function on those uh, that i can hit a thumbs down <laughs> I want to function where I can say, you keep playing this for me, Spotify, and I don't want to hear it again.
1: No, thank you. I don't like
0: this. Anyway, Um, that's all to say that there's lots of things right now in our society that are driving us towards more of the same of what we already love and are not leading us to find more diverse musics.
1: Right. But like you said, if you're willing to seek it out, it is easier (laughs) to seek it out. So like... I mean, I've done this a couple of times in my classroom where I'm like, okay, I really want to include something that's like really popular with kids right now. So I'll just look at like the Billboard Top 100 and then I'll go on Spotify and I can immediately pull it up and listen to it. I couldn't have done that 20 years ago. You know, the best way I could have done it 20 years ago is just by listening to the radio, which I actually still do. I I, I try.
0: There were magazines, you know, what's that? the Billboard, you know, Top 100 Billboard. It was always published. It used to be published even in the newspaper.
1: Oh, I know. I mean, like, you can't, you wouldn't have been able to just listen to all the songs without going and buying the albums is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, so you're right. You would listen to the radio.
1: Right, right. And I pay for Spotify. I'm not just streaming things in a free service like a YouTube or something. But the point being that, like, I'm not all the time doing this. I'm not going to sit here and put myself on a pedestal. But I do. And also because I have a teenager and a pre-teenager who do like popular music more or less so oftentimes i am pulling on regular radio in the car and just playing like the you know the hits of today type radio stations rather than the classic rock station that i might listen to on my own or the alternative station Um, because part of it is i'm trying to kind of also keep my ear open for what are kids listening to today? What are my students listening to? And what can sure. I bring into my classroom?
0: So. Oh yeah, and I do that, uh, especially in the car. I will like, okay, let's hear what's happening on truly pop radio. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the other thing is when you're tra- traveling and you're able to listen to the radio, that is awesome. I, I love going yeah. to another country and turning on the radio and listening to what's going on. Yeah, or even in another state. Right. Um, well, let's also yeah.
1: talk quick, When if we're going to talk about repertoire selection, you know, as specifically Kodai-inspired elementary school teachers, you know, we were taught, like, here are the, you know, kind of standard classic folk song collections. This is where you get, quote-unquote, good quality literature from, right? Mm-hmm. And we're learning very quickly, maybe not quick enough, that some of those books maybe aren't considered the best quality because maybe they're not sourced correctly, or maybe they're not authentic, you know? So my question for you, Tanya, is as a Kodai instructor, where do you tell people to look for music repertoire that they can use in their classroom? That's not necessarily from the orange 150 American folk songs that so many Kodai programs use as one of their standards or you know, are are you steering students towards looking for things online? And then we talk a little bit about <laughs> the traps of online and how you can find a lot of inauthentic things online. Are there publications? Like how, how do we as music educators find diverse repertoire?
0: Well, I mean, yes, there are public, there's the quote tried and true publications that are out there. And as far as online, because in, in the Kodai world, we are really focused on the folk songs of the United States. A lot of this goes to things that are in the library of Congress, things that the Lomax has collected. And, Mm -hmm. um, and of course, that's going to be a little bit limiting as well. If you want to be more diverse, I mean, You've got solid um, African-American music collections. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about Bessie Jones and Step It Down. You've got all of these things that we consider like fantastic secondary sources. But if you really want to make that effort to be truly diverse, you have to do more work. And this is one thing that I do really appreciate about the Kodai world is that you really should be looking at the students that you serve and the population and focusing on their folk music, which is gonna take a little more work. And also it gets tricky when your class gets more and more diverse, right? Right. So if you have a classroom of like 5% um, students who are from Mexico and whose family are um, primarily Spanish speakers is going to be different uh, when you have like five more kids who are from the Ukraine and then you have five more kids, like it's becoming more and more complicated on how you do that. Right. And I've, I've thought that the best way to do that is include like the first place you go as far as folk songs is looking at your class. And if you really do have that many different cultures represented in your class, then you look for equal representation from each of those cultures.
1: Yes. and And something that's also tripped me up with this whole thing is, you know, the whole intention of using folk music from the culture, if we trace it back to what Kodai's intention was, was to go from like the known to the unknown, correct? Like, right. But I find that with both in in white culture, with what we consider to be white American folk songs, mm-hmm. and as well as like a predominantly, predominantly Hispanic community that I've taught in folk songs from Mexico, for example, if I'm pulling in some of these songs, oftentimes the kids didn't know those either.
0: Yes, and I understand that as well, because you're right. In our culture today, it's not as though families are singing like the same work songs that maybe families were singing back in the 1920s or 30s or whatever. So yeah. And I always come back to, well, we've got to start somewhere. Yeah. And the music of the people is where we want to start with above. Um, and yes, this is a hierarchy. It's true. Uh, above music that was composed for a specific purpose, and and that's where we get we get tricky about it, right? I had a student once who, and I mean a grown up student who was saying, well, you know, maybe the music from um, cartoons or the music from video games is today's kids' folk music, is right. And, I I understand where that's coming from, like, because it's something that they know, and that that is known, and we could build from that for sure, but all that music was created for a specific um, commercial purpose.
1: Yeah, but does that make it less valid? Does that make it... less quality because i'm telling you there's some really beautiful video game music out there
0: oh i'm not saying that it's like not good and not worth using i'm just saying that the 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 kodai ideal yeah that it's music from the people that was not contrived to make anybody buy anything
1: right of course Well, and that's why, to go back to my original question when I was talking about, like, where do we find things, you know, I was thinking about, I feel like. There has been, you know, in recently Some really great publications by people Who do the read, like, I don't, I can't Go, I can't go And collect folk songs from no. another country Right now, I just, I'm not in a place In my time, in my life, and my career That I can do that, but I trust people like Karen Howard, who has publications Where she has gone and collected songs Rachel Gibson, who has A publication because she has gone and collected Songs, so right. we just need to rely On the colleagues who are doing that work
0: Yeah, they're musicologists, they're yeah. ethnomusicologists psychologists who are doing that work i yeah. think but that also we want to make sure that we are upholding not just the um american or european white collectors but then we want to make sure we're acknowledging that the, the people that they actually got those songs from exactly right?
1: Exactly. And I think both of those ladies I just mentioned do a great job. of, And that
0: those people are compensated yeah. properly because there's this whole issue of, you know, song collectors going into a village and, oh, sing that again? Oh, let me write that down. Thank you very much. I'm out of here. And right. And
1: I'm to go make money off this book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I'm not and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody specifically. I mean, this is not a a new idea or anything, but right yeah so but then for all... me
1: i think the work becomes like i'm guilty of i see this new publication with songs from x y or z place in the world and i'm like oh woo-hoo, and i buy it and it sits on my shelf and i don't actually take the time to go okay what am i going to take out of my song list my curriculum my whatever it is i'm doing so that i can make space for these songs that offer a more diverse opinion or just a different perspective and, you know, still high quality music as much as the songs I have been doing. But that's where that like (laughs) ignorance piece on my part goes where it's just easier for me to go back and rely on Lucy Lockett, Lost Her Pocket and Bounce High, Bounce Low and BB Bumblebee because I've been doing those forever and I can pull those out of my brain on a dime. And it's a lot harder for me to take songs, especially songs in a foreign language or with a different type of tonality that's more difficult for me to wrap my head around. It's a lot harder for me to implement those in my classroom.
0: Right. So, and then so. and then the circle continues. We are perpetuating yeah. the problem over and over again because a lot of times when I think about these things, I go, oh, well, I am blaming the professors that I had in my music education when I was studying to be a music educator. I'm going to blame them. Well, I just had recounted how I had the, these ideas and these preferences in me before I even went to college. Right. Oh, okay, well, I'll blame my high school choir director. Well, no, no, I can blame my my junior high, my, not wait about elementary. Like you can just say that, music education from babyhood through university, it all needs a shifting, right? Yeah. It's got to start somewhere. Um, and Carrie, you bring up this whole problem of effort, energy, and time. And I think Karen Howard talks about like the whole, yeah, that that's not, I'm sorry, now I'm losing it the dog ate my homework and other excuses.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm going to read another quote here because okay. the other problem with that beyond the time and the energy to do it. Um, and I've felt this way is on page 55, she writes that one of the teachers she was working with says, I found white music educators. Oh, she says, I found white music educators were concerned with getting it right regarding history, translation, musical styling, and ornamentation to the point of abandoning repertoire. Uh And I have definitely done that. I have definitely, I, I am guilty of this, even in the last year, where I'm with a group of other elementary music teachers, and we have to pick songs for a concert that we're doing all together. And I'm thinking, Okay, here's a chance. Let's bring in something different. Oh, I don't have anything off the top. I don't have anything in my collection. Um, ah, I should really take some time and I could go to this place and this place and look through. And meanwhile, other music teachers go, well, we've done this one before, let's just do this. And I go, "I'm I, inside, I think, uh, yuck, I'm not a fan. Don't love it. Not awesome. But I go along with it because I haven't put in the time to give a different idea. Right.
1: Right. Right.
0: And also I'm nervous about getting it right. Yeah. And not appropriating
1: I have avoided doing songs because of the language barrier. I've avoided doing songs, like I said, because of maybe the tonality or the melody is difficult for me to sing, you know, because it's not something that comes from a culture that's familiar to me tonally, you know, uh, rhythmically same. Yeah. Like, and it's, it is, it's just, it's easier to just do the thing we know. Um, So yeah, hundred percent.
0: Well, okay. So thinking, proactively what would be something that would be helpful to music teachers like you and me to really take those collections that are on the shelf dig in and use them i
1: mean i think for me it's about setting a realistic goal you know where even if i say okay out of this book like i have just been actually doing this with rachel gibson's book um is it contact conmigo? I should have the title in front of yes. me. Yes. Um, so, uh, I'm helping lead music for my church's vacation Bible school program next week. And in addition to the music that we do as part of the program, which is not my favorite, but that's a whole different situation. Um, we are going to do some folk songs from Guatemala because we're doing a mission project and we're sending, um, some shoes to a a mission project that gives shoes to children in Guatemala so they said well hey do you know some songs from Guatemala and I was like oh I can find some oh look at this (laughs) whole entire book that is folk songs from Guatemala and Nicaragua but I'm specifically pulling out songs from Guatemala so all I'm saying my point is I was like oh in my mind I thought this is great because it's going to force me to learn one or two of these folk songs from Guatemala and know them really well because I'm going to do it with these kids this summer and then and once I've done it enough and it becomes one of my standard repertoire and I know it, then I'm super comfortable to pull it into my classroom. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, that that's what it took, but that's what it took. It took me saying, I will learn this song. I will teach it to these kids. So I think for any of those books, it's like find one or two songs, learn those really well, like kind of force yourself to do them. And then they do become just as easy as Lucy Lockett lost her pocket, you know, like once you sure. get it in your ear and in your head, that to me is most of the battle.
0: Well, and this is a separate podcast, but I just need the accountability or I need a group or I need a partner.
1: Gonna...
0: <laughs> oh, is there a new group on the horizon?
1: Maybe. Yeah. Would I mean, show up. And there is, there's that paralysis of like, there's so much that comes at you. If you go mm-hmm. to a bunch of workshops and conferences and you buy books all the time, as soon as you see a book by a certain person, you're like, oh, I'm going to buy the book. Then all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't actually have time to implement this thing that I bought. So I think this is something that we're all guilty of. You know, we consume so much on social media and every little thing because we always want more ideas. And then we get so many ideas that we freeze and we just do the same ones we always do.
0: This is true. Well, yeah. As far as the overload, I mean, a place to start is looking at your own students that you teach. Well, exactly. Will that guide you in a specific direction? And then I also think, and this is, this is not a part of the reflective repertoire selection process that Karen Howard lists here. But, um, and and a lot of this I think is geared mostly to middle school, high school, university. But honestly. I think it's not a bad thing when you come across a workshop or a book of unknown musics that you pick one that really appeals to you. Yeah. Right. If you're not, if we're not focusing on the culture, the where the students in your own room are coming from, then you could be like, I like this one. This is one I can do.
1: Yeah. And finding an external reason, like for example, what I'm doing with this vacation Bible school program or, um, current events that are happening in the news If something big is happening in a certain place in the world. Can you find a song from that place and pull that in, you know, to, to create a a real world connection for yourself and your students too. I think that's helpful too, to have kind of that, that pull towards a certain thing.
0: Yeah. But I do appreciate, um, this list of repertoire selection and yeah she has really good questions
1: in here but I mean we could use the same list to to really think about even the folk songs Uh, for sure you know yes I mean that's not excused from that right yeah
0: so in chapter four we're talking about identity in music education and we already touched started to touch on this about um, how our own identities as music educators factors in to what we're teaching and how we're teaching. And I love these standards that she's taking from learning for justice, uh, social justice standards and putting them alongside with music language, right? Mm-hmm. If we look at these um, identity anchor standards and grade level educator outcomes for music education, and we just focus on standard one, students and music educators will develop positive social identities based on their participation in and understanding of musical cultures in society. And, you know, she just lays it all out from grades K through two, then three through five, then six through eight, then nine through 12th and university grade level outcomes, but also music educator outcome. Wouldn't it be interesting Carrie, if these were included in our rubric for educator um effectiveness and observations. Mm -hmm. And you know, you and I had this conversation a few weeks ago off mic um when we were talking about uh evaluations and I mentioned some areas that my evaluator marked as effective. And I we had this conversation, you and I and I was saying, you know, and then after talking to um, my observer my observer kind of let it be known that, that they don't give anyone above a three in this particular area. And it had to do with culturally responsive teaching, uh, because they were a little bit unsure about what it really should look like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying this to out my, um, Evaluator at all. I'm just saying that this is something that I think we haven't really looked at within school districts.
1: Yeah. Well, and this is something that goes beyond just the repertoire. And this is, mm-hmm. you know, that argument of, well, hey, I do folk songs from all these different places. Look at me. I am I'm I should be highly effective in this area. You know, this is more about understanding your identity, the intersection right. of yeah. different identities within music. And, you know, she comes back to this time and time again, this idea of pride in my identity, pride in my music, but then also uplifting and acknowledging you know the the positive benefits of all this other type of music that's not part of my identity you know and finding not only doing that yourself as an educator but instilling that value in your students and again that's hard when we come from a background where music is on a in a hierarchy of my and i want to in your music
0: yeah and dovetailing off of what you just said i want to zone in on standard four Because standard four is students and music educators will express pride, confidence, and healthy self-esteem without denying the value and dignity of other people's music. Yeah. And for music educator outcome, it says, I express pride and confidence in my musical and educator identity. Most people have got that going on, sure. Uh Without perceiving or treating anyone else's musical identity as inferior, even if this is in opposition to what I was taught in my training. Uh That's the tricky part, right? Yep. Yes. Yep. Because, um, yeah, if you go to a university in the U.S. and probably overseas as well, you are going to get this whole hierarchy of musical identity and music genres. And, you know, unless your college university is very, very different, it's going to be steeped in white European music as being the end-all be-all, right? Uh-huh. And I know we've talked about this before. I think about how CU Boulder, they have musical ensembles that are not white European classical music. And that's the only program, not that I know a lot of programs across the country or anything, that you know, they have a, a African high life group and they have a gamelan group and they have these things that students can take part in. Um,
1: yeah. I feel like, you know, the disruption is happening. Maybe it's not happening as quickly as all of us would like within, you know, universities, because that really is, I think, where we'll see that trickle-down effect. If if university training programs make big changes, then we'll see that in our educators. And then we'll see it in our future students, because those are the products of those educators. You know, it's going to take a while before those things happen. And I don't think it will ever go away. I think there will always be programs that are steeped in, you know, what's known as the classics and classical music specifically, and you know what that is. And there will be always educators that uphold that, but I think the more we talk about it and the more we question it, and the more we disrupt that, I think we're gonna see change happening. I feel like it, I mean, I I feel it more now within the last couple of years than I've seen in my 20 year career, as far as people who are challenging.
0: Well, and I will say, Just to go back, we do have mariachi that's a lot more accepted in the Denver um, area. Yes. We have a lot more mariachi groups. And you talk about disrupting that whole idea. I'm still disrupting that idea in myself.
1: Exactly, yeah. Because I
0: know I default to that, not just because I was, well, because I was taught that, but from earlier than college, of course. Um, Also, I wanted to point out that I love all of these vignettes because most of them are positive. You know how so many times you read through Um, a textbook and the vignettes are like how not to do it
1: (laughs) here's this awful teacher don't be like her exactly
0: (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah there's there's on page 67 this vignette about um a student talking to his mother and another student saying oh what language is your are you speaking with your mom oh well she speaks Somali. Oh, like that song that we learned in class and the whole value of, and I've had those tiny little moments where kids make a connection. And that's, that's something that's been in elementary. Um, I think it's from reading, but you know, when the kids go, I have a connection or they make the little hand signal of having, Uh having a connection and that, that this is good. We're, we're building, um, context for kids, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, just to mention it, she does break down, which I very much appreciate, I'm sure you as well, Tanya, the different ways in which we can, you know, show our identity and feel our identity and, you she talks about personal and social identities. She talks about gender and sexual diversity. Yes. She talks about um, students with disabilities and the considerations for all, and then social class as well at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which I appreciate that she mentions examples of all of those things and how we as educators can uh, acknowledge and when need to accommodate for, you know, all of these different identities that we're going to be coming across in our educational realm in our in our role um it's a lot it's a lot to take in um and i just appreciate all of it i do too so now it's time for our coda section where we give a recommendation of something we have been enjoying probably out of the classroom because it's summer so, Tanya, what would you like to recommend?
0: Well, I bet everybody else has already been doing all this a lot. Um, but I had heard about it a while ago. But I've been playing this fun game online with my family called GeoGuessr. Do you know GeoGuessr? No. Oh, well, what it does is it um, you, you go in And it brings up a street view of a place anywhere in the world. And then it starts counting down a clock and you have to guess where it is. And the closer you are, the more points you get. So, you know, it's helpful to say Quebec. um, But you would get more points. uh, Well, the closer you are, the more points you get is what
1: I'm saying.
0: Yeah, so you could get even down, and I shouldn't have said Quebec because I don't know like specific street coordinates to to rattle off. But like if you were to say this particular um, like street crossing, then you would get the most points. Um, Anyway, my my son has been playing it and turned us on to it, and he's really fast on it um, they blur out the license plates. If they, there's cars, they try not to show you streets where you would see cars going, um, you know, on the left-hand side facing the other way, how a third of the world does it sure. anyway. So like obvious things they try to blur out, but so
1: it's not an aerial view. It's a street view.
0: No, it's a street view. And so you can look around you can navigate and you can zoom you can like zoom in even on like signs advertisements that might be there so you know if you are in an asian city you get that right away because you see asian characters but like where exactly are you
1: right. and the closer
0: you get the more points you get
1: interesting
0: yeah what it's fun, good him? fun what's that oh a geo guesser
1: geo guesser all right
0: yeah and how about you?
1: Oh, I'm going to recommend a book. And actually, Tanya, I think, is going to borrow this book from me. Although oh, yeah. I don't think you'll like it as much as I did because it's just totally my my genre. So I just finished The It Girl by Ruth Ware, who has written a lot of other things in this murder mystery genre. And, um, you know, Girl in Cabin 10. and Always
0: uh, a Girl in Peril
1: girl somewhere so this time it's the it girl but I like this particular one it's you know it goes back and forth between the past and the present and there was a, a murder of a young woman in a fake college within Oxford so it's set within Oxford but the specific college they talk about is is not a real place but you kind of get transported to that world this author Ruth Ware is herself British I think she at least yeah lives in the UK yeah for sure so you know there's definitely some um phrases and things that I was like oh okay I can kind of figure out from the context clues what we're talking about here but it's definitely some British slang and all that kind of stuff but anyways so the the character from whose point of view the book is told was this girl's roommate in college and so trying to uncover what really happened that fateful night you know one of those type of books but it was a quick read a good summertime read by the pool on the airplane you know that kind of thing so um yeah if you like that genre of books the it girl by ruth ware i actually enjoyed this one
0: awesome We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk.
1: If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing, rating and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee. So look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. In our next episode, we'll be discussing chapters five and six of Realizing Diversity. Until next time, this is Carrie,
0: And this is Tanya wishing you happy musicking.